on episode number 58 of the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. We have an in-depth conversation with Reverend Rob Fuquay from the St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis about his new Lenten resource, The Passion Play, Living the Story of Christ Last Days, which is inspired by the Oberammergau Passion Spiel. To me, that's the power of this, that the people remembered their vow and their promise, and they said, we've got to keep it. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, a retired United Methodist elder with a heart for doing all the good I can, particularly in anxious times. The United Methodist People Podcast is all about sharing the story of United Methodist people who have a similar commitment to do all the good we can. On the United Methodist People Podcast, we talk to pastors and leaders and teachers and lay people and mission leaders who are committed to making progress through the challenges of the United Methodist Church and are committed to our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We'll do just that by navigating such matters as Wesleyan theology, spirituality, creation care, human sexuality, social justice, and division in our church through conversation and commentary. I hope you'll join me on this journey. If you want to know more, you can find me at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and on Apple Podcasts and the other podcast directories. If you find value here, please share with others in your life. Okay? Let's get started on today's episode. Hey there, good people. Brad Miller here. And I want to say a big thank you for joining me on today's episode of the United Methodist People Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, Rob Fuquay, the pastor of the St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, has a new resource for Lent called The Passion Play, Living the Story of Christ Last Days. Inspired by the Open Rambergrau Passion Spiel. We'll get into that in just a second. I did want to say just a word to you about some of the shifts we're doing here in the United Methodist People podcast. For the last many episodes, we've uh, featured lots of great conversations with Bishop Julius C. Trimble from the Indiana Area United Methodist Church as a guest on our United Methodist People podcast. And the good news is that uh, Bishop Trimble has now started his own podcast at uh, tobeencouraged.com. And if you're looking forward to hearing more from uh, from Bishop Tremble, I invite you to go over there to the uh, website, tobeencouraged.com. It's also on Apple Podcasts and all the other uh, directories. So here on the United Methodist People Podcast, we're really going to be focusing here in the year of 2022 on the uh, situation on our United Methodist Church and really try to tell uh, good news stories and stories that will help us to indeed do all the good we can, even as we kind of lean into and try to explore more what the next steps are going to be for our United Methodist Church. As we, um, many of us are just very aware that this year of 2022, with General Conference coming up later this year, uh, will be very a seminal time for our church. So we're going to explore those issues as we go through our regular uh, episodes here on the United Methodist People podcast. We look forward to talking to some great guests and having some great conversation and commentary as we approach some of the anxiety in our church with a sense that God is going to do something great, even out of the midst of chaos, there will be creation. So I hope that you'll continue to join me here in the United Methodist People podcast as we talk to great guests like our guest today, Pastor Reverend Rob Fuquay from the St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. Let's get into that conversation right now. It's our privilege to have Rob Fuquay with us uh, today, Pastor Rob Fuquay, Reverend Rob Fuquay from the St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. He's a past contributor to the United Methodist People podcast. He has a new uh, resource called The Passion Play, Living the Story of Christ's Last Day, inspired by the Omegrau Passion Spiel in Germany. And we welcome you to the uh, to United Methodist People podcast today, Rob. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Always good to be with you. And it's been a while since we've done this. I know it would go back to uh, prior to the pandemic. Yes. So uh, 
fun to be back with you for this. It is awesome to be back with you. And we've had great conversations in the past about lots of things involving life in the church and resources that you've come up with and things like that. But just for our listeners, give us just a brief kind of thumbnail of who you are, what you're about, and maybe some of the past resources you've been involved with. Sure. Um, So I have been the senior pastor here at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in the northern part of Indianapolis for about 10 and a half years now. Got here in August of 2011, followed Dr. Kent Millard, who had been the senior pastor for 18 years prior. And hard to believe it's already been more than a decade. I think it was shortly into my time. You and I did a podcast together. And and can you believe it? You know, it's been about 10 years (laughs) ago. Well, that's when I started podcasting was 10 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm originally from North Carolina, was a member of the Western North Carolina Conference before coming here and have served uh, a variety of appointments. I started out in, well, Actually, my very first uh, full-time ministry experience out of seminary was in Bristol, England. Oh, wow. And served a church just off the campus of the University of Bristol. And that was part of an exchange program seminary students did from the United States with the British Conference. And I waited until after I finished to do it. Many students do it somewhere in the middle of uh, of their studies, take a semester or a year off to go serve a church. I waited until afterward. So it was kind of my first appointment. Then I went to a small two-point charge in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Uh, from there, was an associate pastor at a very large, our fastest-growing church at the time, outside of Charlotte. Then to a, a medium-sized congregation back in the mountains, just off the grounds of Lake Junaluska, that grew into a large church. Went to another church just a little bit, a little bit larger. Uh, then to St. Luke's, which would be considered a mega church. So. It's a variety of ministry experience that I am really, really grateful for. And I think it ref- it gets reflected in the writing that I've done since I've been at St. Luke's. I've been fortunate to produce a number of resources, um, three with the upper room. The first one I did is The God You Can Know, which is a series based on the I Am sayings of Jesus, and then did a fun series based on the flags of racing, uh, taking the flag. And it was the same format. It was a, it meant for small group studies in churches. So it's a book, but also a, a DVD companion. Then uh, a study on Paul, thinking about our, our purpose in life, which way, Lord, is the name of that one. And again, filmed on location in Greece and Turkey, traveling the sites of Paul. Um, and then with Abington, uh, several years ago, in preparation for the 500th anniversary of uh, the Protestant Reformation under Martin Luther in 2017 did a resource called A New Reformation. And then in 2018, I was contacted by the publishing house to let me know about a project they were doing with educational opportunities. <clears throat> EO is a travel Christian travel company that works predominantly with United Methodist Churches leading Christian tours. And I think EO may be the largest group that takes people to the Passion Play in Germany. And I can tell more about that in a moment. But anyway, they were doing this combined effort to produce a resource that could not only be something like a travel guide for people going to Oberammergau for the Passion Play in 2020, uh, but it would also be something uh, relative and meaningful to people in churches who would not be going to the Passion Play. So it needed to have some, some spiritual value and takeaway uh, that would apply to anybody. So that was kind of a unique challenge with this, yeah. to, to base the themes off of the Passion Play, be relative and meaningful to anybody, wherever they are, but something that people could look forward to if they were going on the trip. So that's how so this project you got came about, with e- getting ready for 2020. You got connected with EO with this uh, project and to put this resource together. And I've been privileged to travel with EO and a couple of times to the Holy Land in my case. And certainly on my uh, bucket list is the Passion Play and I hope to do that s- someday. But of course, the last couple of years have been kind of, um, everything's been kind of uh, messed up by the COVID crisis and so on. And we'll, Talk about how the impact of that here in just a second. But for those who may be a little bit uninitiated, give us a brief description of 
just what the Passion Play is and maybe where it's located at. Just a little context here for our conversation. Absolutely. So the Passion Play in Oberammergau, Germany, which is a tiny village nestled in a remote part of, uh, of the Alps in southern Germany, um, right before you go into Austria, very close to the Italian border. And this is the longest running continuous passion play in the world. It's, it is performed once every decade, usually in the first year of a new decade. So this one was, of course, supposed to be performed in 2020. And they, they do about 100 performances in a season. Starts in mid-May, ends in the very first days of October. They don't do seven days a week. It's more like four or five days a week. So it ends up being 100, 102 performances, something like that. <clears throat> it goes back to 1634 <laughs> when the very first Passion Play was performed in Oberammergau. And Passion Plays by Villages was a fairly common thing. This was a way for a community that tended to be all Christian, all very strongly Catholic in many places, and passion plays were a way for a community to express its faith and devotion. And honestly, sometimes it was a way for a community to say, we want to do this for God so that God will help us with something we need. Wow. So in 1632, a terrible plague broke out in Europe, probably resulting from the Thirty Years' War, something that was in the aftermath of the Protestant Reformation and the tensions that were happening in Europe, um, very much around religion with the, 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 the Protestant separation, but also it was a political war, you know, having to do with who's in control, who really has power. And, you know, as a result of many of these wars, disease would break out. And so a famine, or not a famine, forgive me, a disease spread a plague that was very contagious, very deadly. And the people of Oberammergau, hearing the news, of course, pre-internet, uh, newspapers were right. not common. You know, you would only hear word of mouth. Way off, big cities somewhere, hmm. Paris, uh, maybe even Munich, not that far away. Uh, people are dying from a disease. And then they start hearing that it's getting closer. It's several villages away, but it's coming their direction. So the town council had a meeting and they talked about all of the uh, precautions they were going to establish. So they, um, they, they had a shutdown. They shut the doors of the gate to the city. No one was allowed into the city and nobody could leave and come back. So the people had to stay within the walls of the town and the people who came in would have to quarantine for a period before they could interact. Now, this all sounds like ancient history, doesn't it? <laughs> Until we yes. hit our own <laughs> pandemic. Well, I was going to say and it does, but it doesn't. You know, it, it rings true to right. what's That's going on exactly in our world right. right now. You know, when I started this project in 2018, 2019, you know, it, it just felt like ancient right. history stuff. And then in 2020... We were literally doing this in our church here at St. Luke's as a Lenten study, and we were on week three when we shut down. So we're talking March. We we're talking mid-March of 2020. Exactly. I, I remember the day, March the 15th, 2020, was our first Sunday not having worship in person. And I'm standing in the sanctuary uh, with a camera doing the message about a community in Germany yes. that had to shut down because of a plague, wow. you know, almost 400 years ago. And here we were living it. Gosh. So we, we finished the study and that was when a lot of groups were beginning to announce postponements. Of course, the NCAA, they were getting ready for their right, tournament right, right. and they announced the, the, you know, the ceasing of the tournament that year. Other groups, even at a distance into the year, were beginning to recognize we're not going to be able to have our event. The Passion Play in Oberammergau was really quick to pull the plug. They didn't just say, we're not doing it this year. We will reschedule for 21. They wasted no time saying, we're going to put it off two years. Okay. 2022. 
And it just, it, it was, I remember hearing that thinking, holy cow, wow. you know, two years from now. And it turned out to be a brilliant yeah, move. And I so was on their website the recently. Season, Apparently it is on schedule for this year, as far as I can tell. Right. It is to begin in mid in mid-May. And so that's why we're just trying to promote the yeah. uh, the book and the series again well, for people, especially very, if people have folks going. Very applicable to the situation in our world. We've been in this pandemic for a couple of years now. And uh, in one form or another, it seems like it's going to be ongoing presence in our lives. And so we have to learn how to live with it. And the folks there in Oberepergrau have learned to live with it in their own way. And there's some lessons to be learned, learned yeah. from there. But I want to kind of take you to the core of the story about the Passion Play for a minute. And if you would, for just a few minutes, uh, unpack the story of Casper Schisler and what he was all about in terms of how this was a part of this whole process of this coming to be. Right. Yeah. So the the reason that this plague and and Oberammergau making a vow to start performing a passion play is because with all of their precautions in place, the plague still got into Oberammergau. So the legend has it that one of their residents, Casper Schisler, who was in another village for work, and it was time for an annual church festival that Oberammergau had every year that was like a three-day event. It was a time when everybody came back, just a real joyous occasion. And he came back for the festival and found out they wouldn't let him in. Hmm. So we don't really know how he got in. Did he bribe somebody? Was the person at the gate that night a good friend? But somehow he was allowed to come in so he could go and be with his family. He had no idea that he had had the disease. He showed no signs of it. But within a day, he was starting to cough and, and show signs of weariness. And of course, by that time, he's already infected his family. And not many days after that, he was dead. His family was dead. And over the next several months, 84 members of the village would be dead. Um, history Historians believe that that might have been anywhere from um, 15 to 20 percent of the total population of Oberammergau. So the people called an emergency meeting in the church, this beautiful, ornate sanctuary. And they prayed in front of a crucifix that is still in the church today. And they made a vow, God, if you will spare our village any more deaths, we will hold a passion play every 10 years. And here's what gets interesting about this. And, and I'm talking a lot, Brad, sure. so you might no, have no, to no. stop me. But learning all this information was a lot of fun. So here's what's interesting is the dating of it. There are some dates that show that the vow was made at a gathering in uh, July, but it is attributed to October. When you go back in, and there's an actual record of the deaths from that period, the last death occurred in July. And so you say, now, wait a minute, why would they have waited three? If you were doing one to three funerals every week <laughs> for a number oh of months, why would you now wait three months since there was a death to make a vow? In the book, I speculate that what perhaps happened is the people met in July and made the vow and said, God, if you'll spare us any more deaths, we will do this. And about three months later, I can imagine somebody going, hey, have you all noticed something? <laughs> have not had any more deaths yeah. from the plague? I think we made a promise. I think we need to follow sure. through. So anyway, I I, I, there was the a thing I find kind of interesting about this part of the story as I read, read the book is how, you know, the people. It had to be just an incredibly scary time as we've gone through just scary, fearful times in the last couple of years with the pandemic and especially those first weeks when we all were hunkered down and, you know, we were right just isolating from one from another. I, I never will forget this. My, my son is a hospice worker. I remember him going to work in a hazmat suit. Oh, you know, right. And we right. literally prayed and cried over him as he went out the door because he was going to go work. In a COVID yeah. ward in a time when we 
none of us knew exactly what was going on, but I'm just saying that scary time. So this had to be an incredibly scary time for the people over Heather Brown. And that's a great point. And then, but they responded by making a vow and following through. And it seems like they kind of responded to fear with faith. I don't know. You, yep. you unpack it with me. Do you think I'm, am I reading into the story a little uh, correctly or and maybe there's some applications well, for the no, day? That's, that's instead of one fear, of the sections of a chapter. Yeah, yep. Instead of fear, where I talk about, you know, instead of panic or a way to face their panic was to turn to praise. And it's that point, rather than giving into fear, they turn to their faith and, you know, they go and make this vow before the crucifix. But, you know, I think it's interesting to look at the timing because that happens in a lot of our lives, doesn't it? That we make a promise to God. And then only in retrospect do we have a sense of of God answering a prayer or God revealing God's self to us in some way. And then say, oh, wait, okay, now I made a deal here. And it's so easy to forget and just move on past the blessing. But to me, that's the power of this, that the people remembered their vow and their promise. And they said, we've got to keep it. And so they had some kind of gathering in October that was a dedication to keep this vow. And the next Pentecost was when they performed the play. Probably at that time, because Pentecost is a significant Sunday in the church, and especially in that time, it would have been a festival. Um, But they built a, a play platform in the cemetery over the graves of the people who had died. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And that was where they held the first play. And that began the tradition that eventually, I think by 1670, moved to be the start of a new decade when they performed it. And here's the interesting thing about it. It just shows the incredible resilience and persistence and the power of the vow to not let it go. They've kept it going for 300 Am I getting my math yes. right? 300 years? 300 plus years? 386. Oh, and my it's God. coming up on yeah, before, 400 before the, next, uh, the next time they'll perform it. So just to get uh, perspective, you know, well before you, the United States was even founded, you know, what this has been going on, just to give a little bit of context there. And and I just think, uh, say a little bit about how this is kind of a a, a a testimony to grace in the midst of despair, or grace in the midst of desperation. Say something about that. Yeah. Um, well, it, it is a recognition that as awful as the as the event was, and losing the number of people they did in their village, there was a coming out of it, and a recognition that God had been with them. And that God answered a prayer and a belief. Now, regardless of what we would say about that today, for the people then, they had a belief that God had answered their prayer. And it summoned within them a need to respond in gratitude to God. And so they began the practice of offering this passion play. In the creation of the resource, at first, I just remember being offered this opportunity and thinking, how do you create, you know, important spiritual themes out of a passion play, out of this story of a history of a play? You know, it's not based, the the idea of the book itself, at least, is not based on a book of the Bible. It's not like the I am sayings of Jesus. But the more we started digging away at this, we realized there are great themes there. Um, The power of a vow and how our lives are shaped by vows. Um, the uh, significance of community. And in that chapter, we dig into the the uh, incivility and the divisions of our world today that so fracture community that many churches are dealing with. Yes. And I think we're experiencing that even more coming through this pandemic than uh, than we even felt before. We thought it was bad enough before. We're feeling it even yeah. even more right now. Polarization in society we, uh, and politics, the church is just really, you know, discouraging at times. It really is. Yeah. But I think it makes that chapter even more meaningful. And, and just to pause on that thought right there, chapter two, dealing with community, 
um, it was fun to go there. We filmed the DVD on location and to interview the director and and people who remembered stories in the past from the village when the village got at odds with each okay. other, when people had suggestions of making changes to the script <laughs> and the old guard versus the new reformers oh and people who couldn't even speak to each other until they got on stage to act this out. Mm -hmm. I just thought, boy, what relevance <laughs> to our world right now. Well, and but some of they got through it because of the bigger vision, didn't they? The bigger vision of what they yeah. what they had. And I'm also just was intrigued by, you know, I've known about this for some time, but I was intrigued about how this became a the entire village project. And also when you do this, this is an all day affair, a six hour affair, for instance, when exactly. you do this. And it is consuming of this entire village. So it really, really does take a village to and a community to pull yeah. this off. And not just the six hours of the play performance, but the three hours in between. Mm -hmm. So you you do three hours, you take a meal break, and then you come back for the final three hours. Well, this is just a village of 5,000 people. And the play theater seats, uh, I'm sorry, I said 5,000 5, residents in Oberammergau. The theater seats 5,000. So every day the play is performed, the uh, number of people in the village doubles. Wow, which means the all the various the services in the village have to come to are overwhelmed. I mean, whatever. they don't have enough restaurants, lodging, what to have you. Serve meals to all these people. It requires people having folks in their home. Oh wow! To serve a meal to them. I mean, it literally does take the whole village. So there are some twenty five hundred people involved in the play itself, either as uh, actors on the stage or stagehands, people doing behind-the-scenes work, or all of the service-related activity, uh, shuttle bus drivers, ushers, you know, whatever it might mean. So it, it is something that now has formed that community in a very, very significant way. You know, total immersion, really totally immersed into the mission. Immersion in the mission, I, yep. I kind of like that in terms of, uh, you know, what if we in our churches or our communities – really became totally consumed or immersed in whatever the mission may be, you know, helping homeless folks, yeah. whatever it would be. You know, if we got truly immersed in that, that would be an awesome thing to do. And, you know, in, in all honesty, I talked to people where they were very honest about their own faith and some of the damaging aspects of the Catholic church that have happened in the last few years have really turned a good many people away from the church, mm -hmm. and people were honest about yes. that. So their commitment to carry out this this vow and and perform this play every ten years, it's not just their belief in God, their faith in God. It there's also something about their commitment to their community, mm -hmm. and that because I am from this village, and in in former times it used to be that you had to be a resident in the village a minimum 20 years <laughs> before you could be in the place. Sort of like some hmm. churches, you got to be around 20 years That's to be exactly on the, right. on the ad board or whatever, or the trustees, <laughs> especially. Yeah. But uh, you know, it, the point being is that's the power of the of the community at work. And yet we're folk. So some of the other. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and yet the focus, the focus of this is about the passion story, the passion week story, right? And about yes. the telling of that story and the retelling of that story over and over and over again. I think there's some power in the telling of the story. And then there's got to be some lessons we can learn there about how we can uh, reframe the passion story to be relevant to our world right now. Because right. there's some would say, yeah, it is ancient. It is 400 years old. How's it relevant to me now? But say a word about telling story and retelling the story to be relevant now. Oh, yeah. So one of my favorite chapters, preparing it in the book, is called Telling a Better Story. Mm -hmm. So after the chapter on community, there's a chapter about ritual, the significance of this of this sameness that this village follows every 10 years. And it's more than the year you put on the play. There are all kinds of traditions on the front end of that. Then there's a chapter on living the story, how we make our lives a stage for God's story to be told. The last chapter is on the power of the cross, but the fifth chapter 
we dug into the negative aspects of passion plays in the history of Europe, that very often passion plays would stir waves of anti-Semitism yes. because so many of the plays are presented from the angle of deicide, right. the killing of God. By, and that by, the Jews quote, are the Jews, yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. And, <clears throat> and so the current director who started his first year directing the Passion Play, Christian Stuckel, began in 1990. And his aim was to bring a change to the way they told their story and the script. And you go, wait a minute, how can you tell uh, the, the passion story of Jesus differently? I mean, it's it's in the Bible. It's what it is. You know, you can't change it. But as we all know, the way we tell a story and understand a story with the subtle nuances and emphases that we give can really change the meaning. In the way this story was told over some years, uh, the costuming that was used said a lot. Mm. They actually had the Pharisees wear a type of hat that was meant to look like religious authority. Okay. But the way they crafted those hats, they looked like giant horns. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, now, without, without saying a word, yeah. what are you communicating there? The message was clear, wasn't it? And they it? made— De de they demonizing made, the other. In, exactly. Yeah. The total demonizing the other. They made Judas look as dark as they could. And so Christian Stuckel takes over the play and he changes the costuming. He changes a lot of this emphasis so that people would have an appreciation for uh, the traditions and the values of Judaism. And he really changed the way people saw Judas and spent time trying to understand uh, what Judas did, perhaps from an angle of really wanting religious leadership to understand Jesus the way he understood Jesus mm. as somebody who was trying to broker peace and, and just help them to get it. I bet the director and, caught uh, with some grief for this, trying to change things. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in the in the initial efforts to make any change without even knowing what the changes would be, there were reactions. <laughs> sure. But when people experienced this, the first time he saw that, that Judas was presented in a way that when he realized the depth of what he had done and he decides, I have I have no no choice but to take my life. That's it, it, his grief is that is just that uh, deep and gut wrenching to him. They say that people in the audience were wiping tears from their oh eyes. Oh, my goodness. And in previous plays, when Judas takes his life, going back, you know, 100 years, that might have been a time when people broke out into applause mm. and cheered. Yes. So telling a better story yeah. telling a better st was very, very meaningful to me because I just think in a day and time where so many people just struggle to understand the challenges of people different from them. Mm -hmm. It makes that chapter so rich and, and so very meaningful. And even stories in Oberammergau about uh, World War II and oh, the sure. Nazis I'm sure. yeah. and some incidences that actually happened in Oberammergau. Um, it, it, to me, was very powerful. And I think one of the things we can learn from this story and from your resource and talking a minute about how people can get a hold of this and so on, but when we tell a better story, it has to be a story that relates to our world right now. And certainly the context of the uh, living in the pandemic and so on is part of it. But I love the story you told in, in your book. Uh, I, I, I have to fess up here, Rob. I'm a Cubs fan. I know that's uh, hard for some people to uh, swallow. Steve Bartman. But, uh, the, I really would like you to one, share a little bit about the story of Steve Bartman and how that might relate to how we can really take the context of a life transformation story that's here into our modern context. Would you go there, please? Well, well, you might. I don't, you can set it up, or I can set it up. What year was that? They played the Marlins. Ninety eight, nineteen ninety eight. I think it was more like two thousand three like or something like that. Oh no, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It was in the two thousand. I'm sorry, I am way off. It was in the two thousands. They're for the playing, first time the, the Cubs, Cubs had a legitimate playing, chance for the World Series in forever. You know, bingo. 
And they are ahead and in command of winning the National League championship in Chicago. And in, in a crucial moment in the game, foul ball hit to the side. Steve Bartman there wearing his Cubs hat does what any of us would do, reach up to catch foul ball. And uh, at first it looked like he tangled up with the out the Cubs outfielder trying to make the catch. If he makes the catch, it's the third out of the inning, they're done. That's the game. And That's the game. he's yeah. not able to make the catch. Yeah. yeah. And so that began an eight-run inning, or, or at least it went on for an eight-run inning with two outs. Right. The Marlins scored eight runs, win the game. They end up going game seven in Miami. They win the National League Championship. In that moment, the crowd around Steve Bartman was so angry, so vicious, yelling threats at him, throwing things at him, that security had to come down and and lead him out. And they took him to a private room where he remained until everybody had cleared the stadium after the game. And then they let him go home. And there are great stories about him. In fact, uh, when the Cubs won the World Series finally, after what, 108 years? Yeah, 2016 is when uh, they won it, yeah. 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, they, when they did the ring ceremony for everybody on that team, they had Bartman come to present a ring to him. Yeah. And there's just a really beautiful well, statement that he makes. But the, the point is. The point is he, uh, he, had, he took a lot of abuse for years after the right. incident. And then there was a time of redemption, a retelling of the story here. And I, exactly. I love this. And I'm hopeful in, about stories like Oprah Graver, gosh, uh, Oprah Gravagal and uh, the Passion Play and Steve Bartman and others is where, you know, the time we live in right now, Rob, which is, you know, so polarized in, in politics, in culture, about matters of the environment, all kinds of things, and certainly in our church with uh, schisms and so on at hand. I'm hopeful that we can come out of a time of chaos and despair. Right. And maybe, maybe years down the road, who knows, but we can come to a time of healing and wholeness. I was noticed that uh, in the Google put out a video that the greatest uh, search items for 2021, they had a whole number of things, were the greatest uh, searches on Google. And the top search item was the phrase, how to heal. And I'm uh, just very interested in that in mm. terms of how that implies that we, you know, if you have, if you want to, if you're searching for how to heal, that means you're broken and you're hurting, you're in pain. So I just think we're in a right. time when we need a retelling of the story and perhaps this resource can help yeah. us to do that. So how do you see this resource sure. perhaps being helpful uh, as local churches use this, as other uh, entities, make, people read the book or churches use this resource? I think it, know, might I think be it has a, a number of dimensions. Mm-hmm. Go, go I think it that. has a number of dimensions to it. I think there's a, a level of just a personal faith connection as we think about things like vows and how we've been shaped and uh, the the way God has been present through our lives. Um, the ritual, you know, uh, the, the rituals of our lives and what's important to us, what helps connect us to God, the way we let our lives tell a story. So it's a book that just makes you pause and think about your own life. It also has the element to it, like the chapter on community, where in a group, if you do the study that way, it is a great opportunity to just think about what's going on in human community in our world right now and in our country, and why are we so divided and what would help? Mm -hmm. What are our own Christian values that maybe we need to just be more intentional about practicing and lifting up? Sometimes churches, it's a great opportunity for a church to say, how are we doing at community? How are we experiencing division right now? And what can we do about that? What can we do to help our own community live together better? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think some of the other chapters uh, like telling a better story. It to me, there's just a lot of applicable value there for people living in some kind of brokenness for groups of people struggling to understand others and how we all have that, have that opportunity to go, wait a minute there. We we, we get so worked up in what is truth these days. Mm-hmm. What is truth? Yeah. What is truth? Well, if you think about it, some of the most powerful life-changing events of the gospel 
were based on untruths. There was no prodigal son. Jesus made up the story. It was fiction. There was no good Samaritan. Jesus made up the story. (laughs) Pure fiction, not true. But it was true because what he's talking about is the power of forgiveness and the power of compassion and understanding that can change our lives for the better. Now, that's truth. So it's a great way to say, wait a minute, what's what's a better story that I can tell that points to something that I really do believe deep down is true? And I want my life to reflect that well, there's truth. A, there's so, a, if there, if there's, if there's a the, transformation part of the Bible and a, of the of our Christian walk, it is the passion story. It is the story of going, you know, from all the passionate moments of betrayal, of hurt, of pain, of of denial, all of that, all the way through, you know, ridicule and yeah. all then into re- crucifixion and the resurrection takes us through all walks of life. One last thing I would say about it that, that was fun too, because anytime you, you work on a, well, you know this as a pastor working on a sermon, you learn a lot when you're doing your Absolutely. study and homework right. and working on the last chapter on the power of the cross and thinking about the crucifix in the Catholic faith and where that comes from and what's meaningful about it. I did a lot of historical research that was rich and meaningful, but I tell a story in the book about the crucifix that is outside of the church in Oberammergau. And it's, it's a life-size crucifix on the wall of the church. Okay. And Jesus is, is on the cross with eyes opened. And of course, as Christians, we have trouble with the crucifix in the first yes. place. We believe empty cross, it's Easter, it's resurrection. Right. We want to get on to victory mm-hmm. and celebration. Right. There's something about the body of Christ on the cross that keeps us humble that keeps us aware of the price God pays on our behalf. And it, it, I believe it's meant to put in us a sense of our own value and worth in God's eyes and to keep us humble and also grateful. So the last day of filming there, it's toward evening, the daylight's fading, and we filmed the last piece, and I'm for the who did the filming to uh, kind of get all the equipment packed up. He's off at a different part of the cemetery outside the church. And I'm there by myself and I'm walking underneath that crucifix. And the eyes of Jesus are in such a way that no matter where you're standing, it feels like he's looking right at you. Oh, wow. And I just remembered standing there that evening, looking up at the cross, Jesus looking at me. And all I could just say in a prayer was, thank you. Wow. Thank you. And I, trend. I realized there, there is a power, power of the that cross. I believe everything about this play and this resource is meant to take us to. And that is how much we mean to God. Yes, and and that's the goal. Well, that that's awesome. Well, tell us what what uh, folks. Let's say there's a local church pastor or a group that uh, thinks, okay, uh, here's a possible resource for the Lenten season or for Easter time. What are they going to find in this resource? What are they going to find in the you know the book, the leader's guide, the DVD? Tell us a bit about what they're going to see visually on the DVD. Tell us about what people can find in this resource. Sure. So the DVD for the small group companions, about a six to 10 minute um, clip that you would watch each week for that session. The scenery is absolutely stunning. Uh, The person on our staff who went to film it just did such a terrific job. He had a drone. So you get these high aerial views of uh, Oberammergau, of the Alpine Mountains. And so it's just absolutely beautiful. There are interviews with people from the village, people in the play, the person who's going to be playing Jesus coming up, the director of the play. And uh, I I just think it makes it a a lot of fun to get that perspective. Um, There is a media page that uh, talks about ways you can get the information through Instagram, through Facebook, um, and we can send this to you or we can show it sure. if you have that ability on the screen to show how people can access the, um, the social resources that are available. It's through Abingdon Press. Um, you can, of course, get it through Amazon. Right. So you could just go to Abingdon or Amazon and, um, you know, put the title, the passion play, the living the story of Christ's last days. It would come up that way. Or you can email me, or let me tell you, even better, email my assistant. Okay. And she can send the media page to anybody who reaches out to her 
Marsha, M-A-R-S-H-A dot Thompson, Marsha dot Thompson at St. Luke's UMC dot com. Okay, great. Well, we'll put links to that and all the resources, all the links to all the media resources and how people can get this resource at our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com. It'll be in the show notes there and other ways that we have this. And uh, I just want to say that um, in a time of great distress in our world and in our lives personally and and in our society, uh, I just sometimes think we've got to get back to Jesus. We've got to get back to the cross. Oh, absolutely. Some foundational things. Absolutely. And, and there's something to be said about the history, almost you know, 380 something years of this history. And something to be said about the devoutness of the people there all through history, all the ups and downs interpersonally, all the dynamics that go on in any group of people. And certainly, you know, you have right. in right. this particular circumstance in Germany, you got Nazism and anti-Semitism and incredible atrocities that have happened. And we have lots of, Really ugly things going on in the world right now. But, man, uh, if we don't get back to kind of a a focus on Jesus, focus on the cross as we Christian folks, Absolutely then, um, true. you know, we're really lost then. And so I— Well, uh, I will say, I will say, Brad, that, uh, you know, I'm doing this uh, resource again right now in a group here in the church. Two years later from when it was meant to, to be uh, used, I think it is more meaningful now than it would have been two years yes. ago. Because we understand the experience that brought about this passion play in Oberammergau. We are living through our own pandemic. We are experiencing our own divisions in community. And, you know, we, we have a, a need for Jesus in a way that we didn't have two years yeah. ago. I think we're very. And I find it even that much richer. Very aware of our, we're very aware now of our own humanity and our own fragility of life and all kinds of other things. And uh, yeah. what a better time than this. I just want to thank you, uh, Rob. You've been a very prolific in creating resources and other things for the church and other things to be helpful to people. And the latest resource, and I'm going to hold it up because we will be doing this on YouTube, will be called, the, it is called The Passion Play, Living the Story of Christ's Last Days, inspired by the Oberagero Passion Spiel by Rob Fuquay. And uh, what a great uh, resource. You'll have fine connections at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. Rob, any last words of encouragement to folks that may be listening to our voices here today? No, I just encourage folks to uh, give it a look and uh, and hope it will be very meaningful. Uh, again, I think for people personally, for groups that would do it together, for entire churches. And thank you. Thanks for the chance just to talk about it with you here today. As you can tell, I love it because <laughs> I got to go and be there at a wonderful time. Yeah. Yeah, as and, I mentioned, it's on and, my uh, and experience list. something about the community life, the pride that they have in it. I was I was in Oberammergau 19 months before what was supposed to be the first performance in 2020. So this was October 2018. That's when they announced the cast hmm. and feeling. I mean, you got the sense that this was really for the people who live there. This was their special moment okay. because now they're celebrating their kids and family members and neighbors who were going to be announced hmm. in the upcoming play. And you just felt that pride. And so learning the history behind it and thinking about the spiritual connections to our own lives today. Uh, it, it's awesome. just a, a story I fell in love a with. A heritage so. and a legacy. Thanks. So we appreciate your contribution to this and and for being our uh, guest today on the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Thank you to our guest, Pastor Reverend Rob Fuquay. Many thanks again to Reverend Rob Fuquay from St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis for being our guest today on the United Methodist People podcast. His resource that we talked about at length is called The Passion Play. I want to make sure you had the link so you can find that resource. You can head to cokesbury.com slash The Passion Play. And the, uh, the word The Passion Play has a hyphen between the and passion. So it's cokesbury.com slash T-H-E hyphen passion hyphen play to find that resource. And you can always head over to our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, for links to it in our show notes. I also want to make a, a note that if you're looking for 
some uh, commentary from Bishop Julius Trumbull, who's been a frequent guest on our podcast. He now has his own podcast called ToBeEncouraged.com. You can head over there, ToBeEncouraged, T-O-B-E-E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com at the website and on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast directories and find uh, the commentary from Bishop Julius Trimble. Next time, the United Methodist People podcast, I invite you to tune in as I have an in-depth interview with Reverend Craig Duke. Craig made national news not too long ago when he appeared on the HBO reality television show called We're Here, which is where Craig was invited to dress up and be a part of a drag show in his community. And the resulting fallout from that ended up with him having to leave his uh, uh, leave the pulpit in his local church setting. We're going to talk about that in depth. If you care about matters in the church, particularly those related to LGBTQ matters, if that matters to you, then you're going to tune in next time to the United, to the United Methodist uh, People podcast, where we are all about doing all the good you can through conversation and uh, commentary. I always like to leave you with a quote from John Wesley. So here's our quote. For today, from John Wesley, it goes like this. Good people avoid sin because they love goodness. Wicked people avoid sin because they fear punishment. John Wesley. Until next time, friends, Reverend Dr. Brad Muller, inviting you to always do all the good that you can. It was so good of you to join me on today's episode of the United Methodist People podcast with Rev. Dr. Brad Miller. I thank you for joining me on my mission to truly do all the good we can through conversation and commentary to help our church fulfill our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So please join me again next time with for another episode of the United Methodist People podcast at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please share the good news with the people in your life and follow, rate, and review the United Methodist People podcast on Apple Podcast. That's it for now. Until next time, always do all the good you can.